Hey, good morning again. If I missed you earlier, my name is Jordan. I'm the pastor here at The Journey, and we are really, really, really thrilled that you have joined us on this day, uh, this Lord's Day, uh, but man, this special Lord's Day where we celebrate the resurrection. Easter. He is risen, and we are here looking pretty, dressed up. I put a coat on today. I'm going to get hot up here. It's going to be good, though. Listen, as I said earlier, we're celebrating that we, we know a guy who was dead, now he's alive. And that, that's the story that has been told throughout the ages that people have put their faith in that really turned the world upside down. And that's what we're celebrating today. Uh, but today's passage, as you might have seen, is, is a narrative. It's a conversation between, it's, it's a story of Jesus and some of his uh, followers, and in particular, conversation between Jesus and one of his followers named Peter. And, and the big idea, where we're going today is uh, I want to look at. The fact that, man, sometimes there's a disconnect. Like, we know it's Easter, and we know that we have Easter because Jesus has risen from the dead, uh, and that's great, and we celebrate, and we sing songs, and, and maybe we even get emotional and we feel it. But then what, is, like, what does that look like in everyday life? Like, has anybody else ever felt like there's a disconnect between what we proclaim and celebrate on Easter and then what happens in human life in general? Uh, even as I read some of the news this morning... Brothers and sisters throughout the world being, uh, their churches being bombed, and, uh, and, and even that kind of news is hard to equate with, okay, if the resurrection is true, man, what's going on with that? And then even beyond just the world in general, sometimes there's a disconnect between the resurrection and the everyday Christian's life. Right? Like, we don't know exactly what it means to interact with the resurrected, the risen Jesus in our day to day. And so, uh, the good news is, though, we're not the only ones to have felt this way. In fact, our story today is about a, a guy named Peter, who was not only one of Jesus' followers, right, and one of the leaders of his closest followers. He'd spent three years with him, but Peter had, had actually seen Jesus die on the cross, but he had seen the resurrected Jesus twice. He had seen and laid eyes on and, 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 and touched and seen his body and, and, like, and had to process. He had seen the empty tomb. He talked to the angels. And, and he had had to process, oh, my gosh, that man whom, whom we saw die, who we put in the grave, he's standing before me. Jesus, Peter had seen that. And still, Peter doesn't quite know what to do with it, right? Peter doesn't quite know what that has to do with it because Jesus stayed on earth for like 40 days after his resurrection until he ascended into heaven to take his throne on high. Um, and, but he wasn't in the same place all those 40 days. And so uh, Peter's like, man, I, I don't know. I, I don't know where Jesus is. I can't, I can't talk to him. I don't know what this means for, for me. I can't follow him. I can't do the things he's doing anymore. And so Peter's just like, you know, it's exciting because, you know, he's coming out of Hope had been lost. The man that they thought was the Messiah, the man that they had placed their hope in, that they thought was going to restore the kingdom of Israel and overthrow its enemies, had instead been arrested, tried, and crucified on a Roman cross. And so he's come out of a weekend of loss and despair. And now Jesus is alive, which is exciting, but it's still a little confusing for Peter. Right? Still not quite sure what that has to do. Like, what, what, what now? Like, the, 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 the mission seems to have shifted. It's great that, you know, Jesus is alive, but I don't, I'm not sure what to do now. Can anybody else relate to that, that tension? That even for us, sometimes it's like, okay, it's great that, that Jesus has, has conquered the grave and he gives us hope beyond death, right? That we get 
salvation and that if we trust in him, that we know that when we face death, we can have confidence that if we've placed our hope and faith in him, that we will not experience the, the pain and torment of death that we deserve. Instead, we will be resurrected and spend eternity with him. Like, that's good, and we, we should rejoice, rightly rejoice in that truth and that hope. But, like, what, what about, like, right now? Like, what does that mean? What, what do I do? What do I do? Is the resurrection just something that happens later for us? Because Jesus has risen from the grave, like, okay, great, now we get to go to heaven when we die, and, and so on and so forth, and those are, those are good things. But what, or is there something that happens now? Is there, is there a way that it affects us in this moment? I think it's a, it's a similar struggle that, that a lot of us have here. For Peter in particular, this is a big deal. Peter had, had literally left his career. He'd left his livelihood to follow Jesus. And he'd been promised by Jesus because Peter asked one time, he's like, wait a minute, like, like I kind of left everything. How's that going to go? Jesus says, I, I promise you that anybody who's left uh, you know, home and career and money, it will be, you, your reward will be given back to you a hundredfold. And yet, I want you to hear those words from Jesus in Peter's life as he's following him. And now Peter Today, in this moment, in this narrative story, I want you to feel the tension of that. Peter had been told by Jesus, you won't regret it. You'll get, it'll be given back to you. And yet here he is, unsure. What does that look like? What does that mean? What do I do with this life now? I've, 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 I've really you know, given myself to this and it's totally shifted. And so I think likewise, we're sort of familiar with uh, the cross, right? We're familiar with uniting ourselves with Jesus' death. We understand and, and we preach rightly. The cross stands at the center of our faith as, as the thing that, that buys us forgiveness, the thing that we unite ourselves with Jesus, understand that that should have been us, that, that we should have died on the cross. We looked at that Friday night. Um, and so we're kind of familiar with that, but we're not always as familiar with, okay, we're united with Christ in his death when we're baptized, right? But we're also united with Christ in his resurrection, and what does that look like? How does that play out in our day-to-day? So is it, is it just something for later or is it something for now? Um, and I have good news for you. Romans, like, um, it, it's an active salvation that we're experiencing. It's an active, like, the, that song we sing that the resurrected king is resurrecting me. That's present tense happening now. Like, there is some, there's new life in us because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Romans 6, 5 through 11 puts it this way. He says, if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Amen? For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never lie or never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died to sin once and for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Romans eight eleven says this, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and the Bible says that it does, if you have been saved and you've been given the spirit of God as a seal of your salvation, then he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies 
through his spirit who dwells in you. So is the resurrection now or later? And the answer is yes, right? The answer is both. It's both and. It has an impact for us today. But what does that look like? And that's what we're going to look at Peter's story uh, to really get into, okay, what does that mean? How does that actually flesh out? And what does it mean tomorrow morning and, and Wednesday morning and two, three weeks into this year when we get removed from the celebration and the pictures and the, and the, and the eggs and the meal and all of those things? What does it look like to uh, enjoy, live out, lean in, and rely upon the resurrection? And so uh, to, to really get the, the, the fullness of Peter's story that we're going to look at in John 21, we need to know a little bit about Peter. Um, if you are familiar with him, you know that he was a fisherman, um, and he was called by Jesus to, to come follow him, and, and Peter lays down his nets and does that immediately, quickly becomes the leader of Jesus' kind of ragtag group, um, not necessarily because he is the most qualified leader, but just because that's how Peter rolls, right? Peter is just bold. Um, he, he speaks and acts before he thinks. He finds himself being corrected a lot. He is the first to jump in and charge in. He's, he's not the guy that's going to process, make a plan, and then attack. He's just going to go attack and then figure it out later, right? He's, the, he's, the, uh, he's that guy. And so many of you can relate to him. And, and Peter finds himself being corrected a lot throughout the scriptures. But it wasn't always bad, though. He was quick to jump in with both feet to follow Jesus. He was the one who would, who would speak up. First, amongst the, the, he was the one that the, the rest of the disciples kind of looked to to give answers. And when the whole crowd, Jesus had these huge crowds of people that would follow him, right? And, and, and kiddos, what did he do whenever the, the, the crowds were hungry one day? Jesus sent them all home to get a snack and then come back? Does anybody know? What do you do, kids? You guys still with me? He fed them, didn't he? How many of them? Does anybody know? Yell it out if you do. Who said it? Yeah, 5,000 people. So there's this huge crowds. Jesus feeds them all with a little boy's lunch. It's an incredible miracle. And they all come back the next day. They're going, hey, that was a pretty sweet deal. We got to hear some really challenging teaching. And he fed us lunch. Let's come back to that. Well, Jesus doesn't feed them lunch the next day. In fact, he says, y'all are just here to see the tricks, and you can leave. And they do. They do. And as everybody exits, Jesus looks at his disciples and says, you guys going to go too? You done with me? And it's Peter who says, where are we going to go, Lord? You, you have the words of life. Where, where would we go? I, no, we're staying with you. So Peter's not all bad. He is, he is the one who is always eager to, to follow Jesus, to speak up. It was Peter who was the first to recognize and confess that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. Right? And, and Jesus celebrates and says, man, upon that confession, Peter, I'm going to build my church. He said, that's it. That's, that's the big idea. I am the Messiah. I am the Savior. But Peter, even in that moment, that compliment where Jesus says, I'm going to build my, my church upon this guy, this rock, Peter messes that up, right? Because Jesus starts to try to tell him now, okay, I've got to, be, I've got to actually suffer and die. And, and Peter pretty quickly goes, well, no, I'll never let that happen. Like, you can't. There's no way you'll suffer and die. And, and Jesus says, all right, Satan, get behind me. Like, you've, you've gone from, like, you're nailing it to now you've got to sit back. Like, so even when he gets compliments, G, Peter kind of blunders it and messes it up, but this is his posture. This is how he, he operates. Once more, when Jesus began to wash his disciples' feet in John 13, Peter, thinking that he's doing the right thing, thinking that he's finally figured out exactly what, that this is a test, right? Jesus is testing to see if somebody's going to get his prayer. He's always telling parables, stories, and Peter's like, I got it. He's like, you ain't washing my feet, Jesus. There's no way. There's no way. That, that's unworthy of you to get down and wash my feet. Ne- never will I let you. And then, and then Jesus says, hey, Peter, Man, you don't get it. You don't get it. And, and if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part in me. Peter goes, 
well, in that case, wash my whole body then. Like, not just my feet, Lord, but do the whole thing. And so Peter is extreme, and he is bold, and he is passionate, and that's how he he lives his life. And that's just some of the the highlights and the funnier parts of of Peter's story. But the biggest part that leads him to this encounter that we have today uh, from Jesus comes whenever Jesus starts getting, things are getting really, really real. He's entered in Jerusalem. The the plot to kill Jesus is, is thick. Jesus has been betrayed, and he starts to talk to his disciples, and he starts to say, hey, guys, where I'm going, you're not going to be able to go anymore. Because he knows he's headed to the cross. Peter speaks up and says, well, why can't I go with you, Lord? Like, I'll lay down my life for you. In John 13, Jesus looks at him. He says, will you? Will you lay down your life for me? Jesus tells him, he says, hey, truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. And Peter is adamant. He's ready to charge the enemy with Jesus. And he's be glad to lay down his life for Jesus. But then things take a turn, right? Jesus is arrested. Peter tries to stop him in his usual bold way. He even gets a dude's ear with his sword, right? He swings on that guy, cuts his ear off, and then he's thinking, all right, we're going we're, we're to take these guys. Like, the, the revolution begins now, right? Like, Peter's ready to go, and Jesus rebukes him. He says, no, 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 Peter. That's not what we're doing. In fact, Jesus picks down the ear. It's on the crown from that, and he puts it back on the guy's head and heals him. Nobody knows what to do with that, but Peter's like, wait a, wait a minute. Like, and so Peter, his posture is totally diffused, and he's like, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what to do. And Jesus allows himself to be led off into the darkness to go and stand trial on a, on a bogus court process to where that will eventually lead him to be beaten and flogged and then hung on a cross. And it's in that moment as, as those things begin to happen to Jesus, that Peter is, is lost. He's not sure what to do, and he, and he tries to follow Jesus, right? He, he, wants to, he wants to keep an eye on, know what's happening, but, but he's not bold enough to, to make himself known, and he begins to encounter people that start to recognize him. And they say, hey, hey, wait, aren't, you, aren't you one of the, the Galileans that runs with that Jesus guy that we just arrested? And, Peter's, and Peter denies, right? He, he denies Christ just like he said he would. He, he says, no, wait, like, that, that's not me. You've got me mixed up. But then somebody else says, no, 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 I, I do recognize you. In fact, it, it's your accent. Like, you are, you're with him. And Peter says, I don't know what you're talking about. Right? He denies him again. And then, like, some of the other gospels give this account that there's even, one of them is a little girl. And Jesus, or and Peter, freaks out and really curses at this little girl and says, hey, I told you, I don't know him. Got the wrong guy. And in that moment, the Bible says that Jesus looked up. Peter's standing there beside a charcoal fire, warming himself, not thinking that the Lord can hear, not thinking that the Lord can see. And as he denies him for the third time, Jesus looks up and he makes eye contact with Peter. And then the rooster crows. And Peter loses it. He loses it. He says he weeps bitterly. He has failed. He, the, the guy who said, I'll lay my life down for you, Lord. No way will they take it from you. And here he is, scared amongst little girls and people just recognizing him. And he says he's scared and he flakes out and he weeps bitterly as he sees his Savior's face. He knows he's let down. This is a, this is a moment for Peter that he doesn't recover from quickly. If you've had moments like this where you blew it so badly, 
Right? It's the moment that you replay over and over and over again in your head. It's the moment that you, that you play over and over again when you lay down at night, and then when you finally get to sleep and you wake up in the morning, what do you remember? It's that. Right? It's that thing. I can't believe I did that. I blew it so badly. Right? It's, the me- it's the thing that made a mess of your life. It's the thing that has changed everything. It is the, 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 the grievous sin. It is the betrayal, the lie. It, it is that. And it is not just something that you feel bad for for a bit. It is what de- begins to define you now going forward. Anybody have moments like that? Maybe it was abuse that was done to you as a child. Maybe it's something that you have done later as an adult. Maybe it's something that you've done to your family. Maybe it's just something that you chronically do when no one else is around and you've hidden it and it's hidden sin. But it is the thing that eats away at you. And it begins to rob you of life. It begins to shape how you live. It begins to suck the life out of you. This is that moment for Peter. He's devastated. So this is what informs Peter's posture in this story as we encounter him in John 21. Not only is Peter unsure of what the resurrected Jesus is is doing and what that means for the mission in general, but Peter is pretty sure that whatever the mission is, he can no longer be a part of it, right? Because he's blown it. He's blown it. He's let his Savior down. He's off the team. He had his chance, and he blew it. And so that's what is going on in Peter's heart whenever he he sees Jesus on the shore, and he runs to him, but he's still not sure, okay, what what does this look like for me? And and this takes us back to our story in John 21. and, and, And John sets it up just saying, hey, and Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples one other time. And there's a few of them, Simon being the leader, and they go fishing. For Peter, instead of waiting like Jesus had told him, he decides to go, and, to go fishing. This is what's familiar to him, right? Like he's, he's saying, well, I guess this life of revolutionizing the world and overthrowing Rome, that, that's gone. So I, 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 guess I'll, I guess I'll go back to fishing. I guess I'll go back to what I know. But then Jesus, Jesus comes to them. Jesus doesn't sit and wait and, until Peter figures it out and, and, and hope that he'll come. To, no, no, no. Jesus, out of his grace, goes to Peter. Even though he's disobeyed, he's supposed to wait in Jerusalem. He's, he's back in Galilee fishing. Jesus comes to him. There's such graciousness in that, in our Savior's posture. And you need to know that today, many of you have been running from the Lord. Many of you have been hiding that sin. You have been uh, waiting until you can kind of maybe get it figured out or or. Clean yourself up. I know you've not told anybody, but listen, the Lord's not waiting on you to clean yourself up. He doesn't love some future version of you. He comes to you out of his grace, and he responds, not in anger. I think call him out. He responds in such grace, and there's beauty in this encounter. So verse 3 tells him that they go out and they fish, and they fish at night. In this day, they, you know, they, they fish at night. They start at dusk, and they fish all night. That way they could sell their fresh fish early in the morning. And so they fished all night, and it says, and they caught nothing in verse 3. Just as day was breaking, something happened. Something happened that was different, and yet it was familiar because Jesus stands on the shore. Yet his disciples didn't know that it was Jesus, and he says to them, hey, children, hey, hey guys, you got, you got any fish? And they answered him, no. And he said, hey, why don't you cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they cast it, and, and they're not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish that it catches. All night, they fish. these are professional fishermen. It's not that they didn't know what they were doing. And Jesus, like, Jesus is not a fisherman. He's a carpenter, right? And yet 
They, they fill the net. They do what Jesus says. And, and there's this huge harvest of fish, so much so that it should have broke their nets, but it doesn't. And the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is the way that John, the author of this book, describes himself, said to Peter, hey, it's the Lord. And Peter looks up. It's Jesus. He, he's here. And Peter throws off his like, or actually says he puts on his clothes because he's stripped for work, which, you know, he, again, he's not thinking real clear, right? And he just dives in. And he swims. They're only 100 yards from the shore. Like they can, you know, they can get the boat there probably. But he dives and he's swimming, right? He, he didn't think that one through. If, if that's me, I'm like halfway through. I'm like, okay, this was a bad idea. I'm going to sink. Somebody need to throw me a raft and I'll come in on the boat like I got overzealous here. 100 yards out, I'm probably not making that one if I'm being real honest. But, uh, but, but Peter, man, he dives in. He swims to the shore. He's so eager to see Jesus. And there's something beautiful happening here. This is Jesus taking Peter back to when he originally called him to follow him. It's the same kind of story. Jesus is teaching, and there's some fishermen that have been fishing all night. They just got their nets all cleaned up, and Peter's one of them. And Jesus says, hey, I need your boat. And Jesus goes out to, to teach, and he's t- teaching for a while. And then he says, hey, you guys got, got anything tonight? And he's like, no, you know, fish just weren't biting. He says, why don't you try it right here? And they're like, really, dude, you don't, you're not a fisherman, but like whatever. And so they do it, and again, their nets just break, and it's incredible. And Peter hits his knees. Peter hits his knees. I think it's in John 5, and he worships. He says, man, I don't deserve to be even in the same room as you. And Jesus says, yeah, but you're going to come follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. Jesus is taking him back to that moment to remind him of his original calling, to remind him of the affection that he has for him when he told him he was going to make him fishers of men. So it is this, Jesus' kindness in recreating that, and I pray that for many of you to hear today, like Jesus is going to recreate a moment whenever he called you and you realized he was calling your name. I'm praying that he does that kind of work this morning where he brings us back. He lifts our head and reminds us of who he is, what he's done for us, and what he has for us. So Peter makes it to shore. The other disciples show up, verse 8. They, they make their way in. They're dragging the net full of fish, Right? Um, verse 9, when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire. Now, this is important because there's only two places in Scripture wherever it notes that there was actually a charcoal fire. You remember where the other one was? It was where Peter was warming himself when he denied Jesus. What's Jesus doing here? He's taking him back. He's taking him back. Like for me, like when you have those moments, there's triggers, there's memories, there's things. You guys have a smell that like takes you back. Like still for me, when I smell like iffy cafeteria type food, I go right back to like elementary school, right? Like my stomach just kind of turns and I feel like I don't have any friends again and like my head's bigger than my body. It still is, but like I just, it just kind of all comes back to me and Peter rolls up to the shore, and Jesus has got what? He's got a charcoal fire going. He's taking Peter back there. He wants him to know. I know. I know, Peter. Peter doesn't bring it up, though, right? He's like, well, maybe, maybe we're not going to talk about it. Maybe we'll get to this later. There's another physical element here that, that Jesus is, is doing to get to Peter's heart. Peter, again, he doesn't get things quickly. You can't just say it to him. So Jesus is leading him in here, right? Jesus' purpose is not to condemn Peter, but to restore him. In fact, now he's going to look right at Peter. So he tells him, hey, hey, bring some of the fish you guys caught. Jesus already got some. That's interesting. He's already got some fish. He's like, hey, bring some of what you guys got. We'll cook it. We'll have some breakfast. Right? So Peter goes and gets it. He hauls it all up there, uh, have breakfast. Um, They're all like, 
I think that's him, but I, I mean, I'm pretty sure it's him. Nobody else does stuff like that, but like they're all too scared to, to just come out and ask him. So they're just hanging out with the resurrected Jesus, eating their breakfast, um, and just trying to process this moment. Don't you imagine what that's like? They're just trying to process what, is, what does this mean? What are we doing now? What is Jesus doing now? It says this was the third time that Jesus was revealed, verse 14, to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, now Jesus is going to turn his attention right to Peter. Verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter, I, I can imagine he's looking at me. He's like, oh, we're going to do this, huh? Well, yeah, Lord. Yeah, yes. You know I love you. He said to them, well, then, then feed my lambs. He's, he's restoring it. He said, no, no, you, you still have work to do in the ministry. Like, I, I'm not done with you. You love me? Yeah. No, okay, feed my lambs. Verse 16. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John. Like, again, his name has been changed to Peter by Jesus, but this is Peter, or this is Jesus calling him by his, this is like when your parent calls you by your first, middle, and last name, you know, you're, you know to really get your attention, you know that you're in trouble, you know you need to lock eyes and, and, and listen in. He says, Simon, son of John, do, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He says, well, tend my sheep. Verse 17, he says to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. Because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, then feed my sheep. And then he goes on to say, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you're going to stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said, John gives us some context because that's a confusing saying. He says this, he said to show him the kind of death that he was going to uh, experience to glorify God. And after he said this, he says, hey, come follow me. So he's restored. They, that come follow me is what he said to Jesus back, or back to Peter back in John 5. He's restoring Peter in this moment. And listen, this is, this is what he wants him to know. The, 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 he's, re, he's revealing the effects of the resurrection in our everyday life. It's not just an event that we get to claim whenever we check out of this world. Oh, yeah, I prayed and trusted Jesus, and I get to go to heaven. No, he's revealing the effects of the resurrection in our everyday life. And the first one is that the resurrection secures our salvation. The resurrection secures our justification and our salvation. Like, it, it is by the resurrection of Jesus that he's able to look at Peter and say, it doesn't matter. I know you failed me greatly. It was, like, it was never about you anyway. You could never do it. That's why I went to the cross. And because I conquered death, I'm able to look at you and say, forgiven. The Bible puts it this way. In Colossians 2, he says, uh, We've been buried with Christ in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through the faith of the power working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and un uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses by canceling the, this is Jesus on the cross, canceling the record of, of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Thus he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. Romans 4.25 says that it was counted to him, not just Jesus alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised him from the dead, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. It is the resurrection that secures our salvation. And, sa and Jesus is able to say to us, hey, 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 I know. I know, Peter, I know. But I got you. You're right. You don't live up. You don't qualify, but I got you. I conquered it. 
God's able to look at you now and see me and your debt is wiped clean. Your sins, those are scarlet. They're made white as snow because it's not just because Jesus died. Like the resurrection doesn't happen, then the cross doesn't have its effect. Does that make sense? Just because Jesus died on the cross does not bring us salvation. It is the fact that he died on the cross on our behalf and he conquered death because death had no hold on him. He came back to life and that is what gives him the power to offer us salvation. And this is what he's teaching to Peter for the first time. Peter's learning this in real time that this is why he can give him forgiveness. But it's not just forgiveness. This is where a lot of us just stop there and say, okay, we can be forgiven. But there's restoration in this moment. And it gets kind of uncomfortable for Peter. For some of us, like Jesus makes him face his sin, makes him remember, like we don't get to cry out for salvation. We don't get salvation without acknowledging that we are a a sinner that is in need of salvation, right? So Jesus makes Peter face his sin. And after he does that, he makes him face him and let him speak restoration over him. For some of us, this is way harder than accepting Jesus' forgiveness. It's way harder to let him speak words of truth and love and affirmation over us and restore us. But this is what he's doing. Even the last part, whenever Jesus tells Peter, he says, hey, uh, when you were younger, you know, you, you, you did what you want. But when you're older, somebody's going to take you where you don't want to go, and they're going to stretch out your hands, and that's how you're going to die. It, that, if you just read that, you're like, well, man, I guess, you know, like Peter's forgiven, but, you know, Jesus didn't forget. He's going to make sure he pays. for No, no, no. This is actually an encouragement to, to Peter. Like when Jesus says, hey, next time, what he's saying is, hey, next time, Peter, next time. When people say, hey, hey, aren't you a Jesus follower? He says, hey, Peter, it's not about you anymore. The life you live, it's not you living it. It's me living in you. And the next time, Peter, you're going to claim my name, and it's going to take you all the way to your own crucifixion. And we know that from history that that's exactly what happened to Peter. That he ended up being a martyr for Christ's name. And so even that is, is Jesus speaking affirmation over Peter and saying, hey, I know it's not, it's not about you, though, and I got it. Next time, it's, it's on me, and, and my spirit is living in you and empowering you. And, and listen, it's not just forgiveness. We're comfortable with that, right? Like, we're used to receiving that. But he's also given us resur- restoration. He's, he's looking at you and saying, yes, and, and you matter, and I have a purpose for you, and, and I'm not just tolerating you. You have value, you have worth, and I'm going to clean up the, the mess, the hurt, the pain that's in your life. I'm, I'm coming after it. I want to heal you. This is, this is at the heart of the Christian faith, but this isn't all of it, okay? Two quick things as we, as we look at what else the resurrection brings. It also brings purpose into our life. So the resurrection is, is what secures our salvation, secures our forgiveness and our restoration in God's sight. But it's not just, okay, we're forgiven and restored and we wait for, for Jesus to come back. No, no, it gives us purpose in the here and now. It's because if Jesus isn't resurrected, then, you know, Paul says, hey, you might as well eat, drink, and be merry. Like, for tomorrow we die. Like, there's no real point in all this. But he says, because there's the resurrection, it's starting now. His kingdom has come on earth, and, and he says, Behold, I'm making all things new, and it's, it's starting, and it's beginning. Like, creation is groaning, Romans 8 says, for the redemption that Christ is bringing. And, it, and so resurrection starts the process in each of us where God is making his creation new, and it makes what we do in this world matter. Paul is going to talk about it in 1 uh, Corinthians 
uh, chapter 15, when he goes through this whole uh, unpacking of what the resurrection means, and he ends it in verse 58 by saying, be, like, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. So it gives purpose to what we do. And, and some of you, and Peter, like, experience this, right? Peter goes on to, to lead the early church. He goes on to write a couple books of the, of the New Testament. And we know from history that not only did he uh, not deny Christ the next time, that he actually was taken to his own cross. But in, in true Peter fashion, he says, no, no, I can't be, I can't be crucified like my Jesus. You've got to do it to me upside down. So we know that, that indeed he fulfills, it's not without correction. Peter's not perfect now. He still has to be corrected. But Peter's life has meaning now, so much so that we're still reading his words and looking at his story today. And so some of you will write yourself off and go, well, I don't have, like, I, I'm not an apostle. I'm not a church leader. So what, what is my, like, I, I do this. I clean teeth or I, you know, look at numbers all day or I sell stuff in retail or I, you know, I'm an engineer. Like, how does my work matter for eternity and what he wants us to know is that, listen, it was never about having these places of power and prestige. In fact, just last week, whenever we looked at Palm Sunday, when Jesus rode in to, to claim his kingdom, what is he riding in on? He's a donkey, right? And what is that for? It's to remind us that his kingdom is an upside-down kingdom, one that is coming in humility. And that was the whole point of Jesus washing his disciples' feet, right? He wanted them to know, like, hey, listen, those of you that are the greatest are going to become your servants, like, that's how you, you get exalted. The humble will be exalted and the proud will be brought low. Like, that's the kingdom that he's bringing. And so what that looks like is our lives have, have purpose. And it's not about, oh, when we get this job, then we can make a difference in this world. When we get to this place, then we'll have time to donate. No, no, no. Right now, what we do every day matters. Here's what this looks like at the journey. Here's what we're trying to get to. We're trying to get to meaningful ministry here in Southern Illinois and really throughout the world where we're not just about doing an event and blowing through and maybe feeding some people or whatever, and those are good things, but then the other 364 days of the year, we're not connecting with our community. We're trying to get to a place where we're serving in relational ministry and doing things like fostering and adopting kiddos who don't have a home, doing things like mentoring kids who... who I kind of come from a broken home or need somebody to invest in them, doing things like partnering with people who are in recovery and loving on people, serving at Crisis Pregnancy Center, building relationships and rewriting the story of brokenness in our community through intentional relationships with people who have been redeemed and saved and sent out as ambassadors of this good news gospel that Jesus has done. He says, you're my ambassadors now. You're my witnesses to the whole world. So he gives our life purpose, and then lastly, he gives us an opportunity at true community, an opportunity to be actually known. Just think about Peter here. He's blown it big time, but he's still got his friends. Why? Because they all blew it too, and they get it. They're not pretending anymore. We say here at the journey all the time, like, we, we want to make it clear. We're not here because we got it all together. We're here because we need Jesus. What happens with the gospel when Jesus stands resurrected and says, hey, you don't have to prove yourself anymore. Now we can be honest about who we really are, right? Because if the resurrection isn't true, then we got to keep people from knowing some things, don't we? Like we got to keep people at, at an arm's length, right? Because we got to earn what we can here on earth. But no, the resurrection is true, so it, it allows us to actually be known here in this life right now. The resurrection empowers us not only to be known, but to experience healing as we are known. That's what we're trying to do as a church. Like, listen, if you're here and you just come because it's, you know, it's Sunday or whatever, or it's Easter and you're not sure what, you know, listen, I would probably make fun of us too because if the resurrection isn't true, this is a really lame hobby. 
right? Like there's better things to do on a pretty day like this. But because the resurrection is true, this becomes our life. This becomes our, our source of hope as we love on one another and we, we carry one another's burdens. And, and James says that we call on one another, we confess to one another. That's scary language, but we confess and we, we share the darkness that's in our heart. We share the sin that we've committed with one another. Why, James says? Why? So that we can be healed. First John 2 says, listen, I'm writing all this stuff that, so you, you don't sin, but if you do sin, this is good news. Jesus was resurrected. Jesus conquered death. It wasn't relying on you anyway, and so you can be forgiven. That frees us up to be real and to be actually known. So the resurrection secures our salvation, both forgiveness and restoration. It gives our life purpose. Jesus is restoring, reconciling the world, and we get to join him in that work, work that will last into eternity. And then lastly, it gives us a chance to be truly known and experience true community here on earth. In the now. That's the hope of the resurrection. And here's, here's what we do with it. Here, what, what do we do? What, what's, what's our process today? What, how, do we, how do we respond in this moment? Here's the deal. First thing you need to do is be honest. When Jesus, call, like, Jesus calls out to the disciples, say, hey, you got, you got any fish? I'd have lied. It's just me, man. Self-protection. I've been like, yeah, we caught a few, but, you know, they weren't very big. We're kind of going for the big ones, so we send them back. We'll try again tomorrow. You know, I'd have made something up. They just go, nope, got nothing. First thing we have to do is acknowledge that we are not nailing it. We do not have it all together. And then we have to let the Savior, like we have to face our sin and let the Savior, the risen Savior, bring his salvation. How's that happen? He says, Romans 10, 9 says, if we confess with our heart or with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is the Lord, that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So here's the deal. There's some of you here who have come, you come to church every week, here maybe, and you've never gotten real with Jesus. For whatever reason, you've just been playing the game or, you know, keeping... You just kind of got the do not disturb sign. Like, ah, yeah, yeah, I'm just here to, don't bother me, right? I'll let you know if I need something, otherwise don't bother me. We've never gotten real. There's others of you that are just here because it's Easter and it's kind of the thing to do and you had no intentions of being impacted by anything whatsoever today. But here's the deal. The, Savior, the risen Savior stands on the shore and calls out your name. And say, hey, children. Got anything? he's asking us is, hey, how's, your, how's that going? How's your life? How's it going trying to save yourself? You fulfilled yet? You made enough? Got enough approval? You got rid of that shame yet? You've done enough to assuage the guilt in, in your heart to convince yourself that you're actually a good person? How's that going? Listen, if we're willing to be honest and just surrender, what that lo- I get it. It feels like admitting that our, 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 our room really is a mess and we need somebody to come. Like, I get it. But man, what is, if we just surrender and say, I, I, I'm a mess and I need a Savior. Jesus says, and, and we're not going to catch fish, but what he does say is, you, you come and you'll drink of the living water 
and you'll never, ever thirst again. You won't want anything. You won't, you won't wonder what life is about anymore. You won't wonder if you're good enough. Your soul will be satisfied. Your sins will be forgiven. You'll have purpose. You'll, you'll be able to be known and be honest. Wouldn't it be great to stop hiding? Wouldn't it be freedom in that, to stop hiding in your sin? Wouldn't it be great to know that, that you can do something that matters in this world? Wouldn't it be great to know that you can be forgiven and restored? That's the offer of our Savior today. Let's pray. Jesus, we need you to remind us of who you are because who we are is all confused. All confused. Would you do your work this morning? Call our names and give us the faith to respond. May we not leave here without drinking deeply of the resurrection and its power for our everyday lives. Holy Spirit, come. Bring your word to life. Call people from death to life and save us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.